Hey, it's Larry. Uh, Thanks for listening. Happy New Year. Real quick, before we get into this episode, I had such an amazing, eye-opening, life-changing experience at the World Parkinson Congress in Kyoto that I want others to have that opportunity, too. So Becca Miller and I and 24 of our PD community friends have launched a year-long WPC Travel Grant Fundraiser. We're each doing a two-week Facebook fundraiser. Mine's underway right now because my birthday's January 9th. All the money raised will be used to help offset travel costs so more people with young-onset Parkinson's can attend the next WPC in Barcelona in 2022. You can search out details on the When Life Gives You Parkinson's Facebook page or donate directly to the WPC website. Go to wpc2022.org slash yopdfund. If you or your business would like to supply matching funds... Hey, good on you. Email me at parkinsonspot at curiouscast.ca. And now, on with the show. Hi, I'm Larry Gifford. I have Parkinson's disease. This is When Life Gives You Parkinson's. Take the punch, get knocked down, get back up. You might just inspire the world. Oh, yeah, I'd know that voice anywhere. Muhammad Ali. I had to pull that clip. That's Ali with David Letterman in 1984. This episode is about the Parkinson's legacy of the people's champ, Muhammad Ali. Before I knew anything about Parkinson's, before it touched me personally, I was aware of two people who had been diagnosed with Parkinson's, Muhammad Ali and Michael J. Fox. Before I was diagnosed with Parkinson's, I, I admired him and I admired his, his athleticism, his poise, his class, his style, his, uh, his stoicism, his belief in what he thought was right and to have actually met him and, and joined with him in a, in a common cause and a common fight was, uh, I mean, who, who else would you want in your corner? That's Fox on NBC's Today Show. When I talk to folks about Muhammad Ali, Michael J. Fox's name comes up quick. That was the case when I chatted with Sky TV sports presenter Dave Clark. Dave is best known today for anchoring darts, but he's covered boxing, football, and all the rest. Dave was first introduced to Parkinson's as a kid. I was, I was off school ill one day, and I saw a program about Parkinson's. And I thought, my dad's got all those symptoms. And I said to my mum and my brother, I think dad's got Parkinson's. And he said, yes, he has. And that was the end of the conversation. No, it was a long time ago. People thought differently then. You know, it's, I was 11 years old or 10 years old. And we never talked about it. When he was 17, Dave's dad was in the throes of Parkinson's, which for him included severe depression. It was that year when his dad went into the cold, dark cellar in their West Yorkshire home and took his own life. Dave was confronted with Parkinson's again in 1996 when he was in Atlanta covering the Olympics when Muhammad Ali surprised the world. It was, it was hard when, when I saw him because no one knew Muhammad Ali was going to light the flame. And look, it's Muhammad Ali. So seeing him in the, in, the, in the stadium, it brought memories back of my dad. The former world heavyweight champion, one of the great figures in sport. It was, it was, it was a really emotional night that night when I, when I saw him running around the track. His Parkinson's was really bad. And the flame is... Uh... Flame was shaking. Nearly 80 meters above him. I was worried whether he'd be able to light it. You know, it was a lot, lot of pressure on him, but an incredible man. And he, he's done so much for awareness of Parkinson's. You know, you look at some of the old films of, of his career. There's a great documentary on, on Sky at the moment about his career. And if you know Parkinson's, you can see he was fighting with Parkinson's. 
back oh, yeah. in the day. You know, it's, it's very clear that he's got Parkinson's and he's, he's, he's trying for a world title. I met him in a bookshop in Croydon in South London. He was signing copies of his book. And um, it, it's weird because Muhammad Ali went out of favour for a while. He, he wasn't the sort of iconic figure for a few years and just drifted off the radar. And, and he was in London and, uh, and, and I met him then. And, and after the 96 Olympics, when he was shaking, lighting the flame, he sort of got him back in the, the public eye again. And, and he became this even more iconic figure than he was before. So uh, amazing. Yeah, I met him. What was your interactions with Muhammad Ali like? What, what was your impressions of him? Um, he was quite quiet. He, he, you could obviously tell he had serious Parkinson's then. Uh, I know a lot of people who... Who, who have met him over the years and said he was a very caring man and, you know, had time for everybody. An, an amazing guy, an amazing guy. What do you think Muhammad Ali's legacy with Parkinson's is? I think awareness, you know. It's important that we get the message out there that what Parkinson's is. And I think people have raised millions of dollars on the, on the back of Muhammad Ali for Parkinson's research. There's that, that great bit of footage with Michael J. Fox and Muhammad Ali. What do you see? An actor? An athlete? How about two people who share a common illness, no different than the millions of others with Parkinson's disease? Except maybe we can capture your attention, raise money, help scientists find a cure this decade. To make a donation today, call 1-800-708-7644. Look again, you'll see two people who won't stop fighting until there's a cure. I'm still bad. I believe I make a comeback. It's just it's just raised the whole profile of, of Parkinson's. It's, it's it's important for people to know what it is, know how to react when they meet them with Parkinson's. And I think that's his legacy, and, and hopefully his, his legacy as well will be finding something towards a cure one day. Fifteen years after Atlanta in 2011, Dave Clark, now 44 years old, 27 years removed from his dad's death, began his own personal battle with Parkinson's disease. And I, I never thought down the road, you know, a few years later I'd be diagnosed. And that is a story we'll save for another episode. Today, let's keep focused on Ali. He first came to consciousness of the public in the early 1960s as Cassius Clay, a U.S. Olympic gold medalist. As he prepared for his first world heavyweight championship bout against Sonny Liston in 1963, he was invited onto the Jack Parr show. Have you ever been knocked out? Never dreamed of being knocked out. <laughs> you really think, you, you feel confident that there's, you'll... There's not a man in the world to beat me. I'm as pretty as Liberace and he's not... <laughs> you, you know, you are a very good-looking boy. And you feel that you... Uh, you possibly could, could, uh, to I'm win. getting ready to fight the roughest and the toughest man in the world. Sonny Liston. Right. And you feel you have a chance? If he dreamed he beat me, he would apologize. Yes. <laughs> you, you really feel that strongly about That's it? That's right. Sonny Liston rather take off his sport coat, soak it in gasoline, and run through hell before he fight me. <laughs> I know she's backing away all the time. I feel <laughs> That voice, that mind, that poetic nature of his cadence. Over his 30-year career in boxing, we got used to hearing him. That's why when he lost to Leon Spinks in 1978, interviewers began to ask questions about how he was feeling. Was he punch drunk? Did he have brain damage? Dick Cavett, the king of talk back in the 70s, asked Ali 
what was happening to him in the later rounds of that bout. Things you see that you want to do, you can't do it. Like, 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 we're right here, right? And I'm right, but bait, I should really hit you, right? Yeah, you and can. then I throw it, and it lands right there. And I miss you. Yeah. And then, you, you can know, still do that, luckily. Well, with you, the wind from the punch and knock you down. The little, wind little, from the, the wind. Yeah, I heard you. I was just thinking about it. But, but uh, uh, usually your reflexes, your timing, yeah. you see punches coming, you, you can't get away quick enough. Whew, that's eerie. Yeah, that's how, exactly how I feel when I'm off Levodopa. Like, I try to do something, and I don't quite hit my mark. Uh, Cavett tried to dig deeper. What other parts of your anatomy are slightly faulty? <laughs> well, at least it's not my brain. <laughs> There's no stopping you. I mean. You know, I listened to a lot of tape, and Ali joked a lot about not having brain issues, so much so that in retrospect, you know it was such a big concern of his. You, I mean, you can tell. He was so proud of his, of his intellect, of his capacity to, to verbally spar with anybody, that the thought of losing just one beat was a great fear of his. Three years after the Cavett interview, he was on the Michael Parkinson show in the U.K., Ironic, I know. As you know, there's been a lot of speculation about your condition after the Holmes fight, particularly in this country. There was a suggestion, for instance, that there was brain damage. Well, I tell you what. <laughs> uh, your brain controls what comes out of your mouth. During this interview, you check me out, and after, you tell me if I have brain damage. I'll let you know at the end of the interview, shall I? I went to a place called Mayo Clinic. It's the world's best cl clinic. And there were reports about me of brain trouble, kidney trouble, and speech defects. So I went to Mayo Clinic and got a physical. I stayed there about two days. And we had 100% checkout. So all of these local doctors and one horse town doctors can pack up because I got okay from the best clinic in the world. That was 1981. As the years passed, the speech slurs. You can hear the rigidity in his voice. Everything slowed down, but he continued to deflect. In 1984, the diagnosis came, and the denials continued, this time on the Phil Donahue show, where he appeared with his brothers. You cannot get out from under the curiosity and the empathy that people have for you. You told me backstage you wouldn't ask no more questions. No, I, I just have one. You lied. Uh-huh. Wait, no, no, no. Uh, I... One, uh, your ex-wife was here? Oh, no, wait a, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Uh, um, now, what is not so funny, Muhammad, is it, do you have Parkinson? What is that? Do you shake? No. That's pretty steady. That's good. Well, did you hear that? Ali first says, you said you weren't going to ask me any more of those questions. Like, he wants to hide it. He doesn't want to talk about it. And then he puts his hand out in front of him, both of his hands, straight out in front of him, you know, with palms facing down. It's like, am I shaking? Am I shaking? And we all know, we all know that uh, medicine, you know, levodopa, can help take the shakes away. It does for me, I know. Uh, so, so just because you're not shaking doesn't mean you don't have Parkinson's. Not everybody who has Parkinson's has the tremor, right? Ali had seven daughters and two sons. 
one of his daughters, Rashida Ali Walsh, was 14 in 1984. He, he, he walked a little slower when he was diagnosed in 84. Um, he spoke a little softer, but I, I thought it was my dad getting older. Unfortunately, was my dad was only 42 when he was diagnosed. Wow. So for us, we weren't alarmed. I, I think my dad um, handled it quite well. I think he was blessed in the sense that his progression was not quick. Um, he uh, was diagnosed with Parkinson's syndrome early, um, but he didn't have Parkinson's disease until several years later. So he wasn't truly diagnosed with Parkinson's disease until years later after he was diagnosed initially with Parkinson's syndrome. Um, but again, I, I didn't, I'd never remembered my dad without Parkinson's. So again, wow. I, I wasn't thinking aback when he had symptoms. Do you know what symptoms he was first concerned with? Um, I think his first uh symptoms kind of started to portray itself in the early 80s when he was still boxing. And um, I think it was his tremors. Um, that's usually the first symptom that people will exhibit. 70% uh, of the population anyway will most likely exhibit the tremors in the thumb. His, his was his thumb. And, and some you know, people may exhibit it in other parts of their body, rigidity. Um, but tremors is usually the first and uh, my dad had that first, and then he had the slurred speech shortly after. Okay, so he was 42 years old. He walked slower, spoke softly, tremors in the thumb, slurred speech. She also suggests that the journey for her dad and doctors to understand exactly what was happening was long and complicated, as it is for many of us. I was told that a lot of the doctors misdiagnosed him because he was so young, and a lot of people thought he was just kind of remnants from the boxing career um he if you look at the last fight in 1981 against trevor burbick you'll see symptoms of parkinson's even in that last fight um but a lot of the neurologists at the time thought that he wasn't a candidate for Parkinson's, so they kind of dismissed a lot of his symptoms as just being in the ring too long and just things that will pass once he retires you know, what I've learned through my research is that conversations with Ali about Parkinson's and potential brain issues began around 1977, a year before the Sphinx fight. Dr. Ferdy Pacheco met Ali in 1960 when he was Cassius Clay. He became Ali's physician and corner man in 1962 until he wrote a letter to Ali, Ali's wife and trainers, to resign. He talked about that letter on the BBC documentary, One Punch, Too Many. I, my findings are that he's slipping neurologically more and more every fight. You can just listen to him talk, look at the tape from one fight to the other, you can see his deterioration. And if you continue like this, you're going to have massive brain damage, which is going to lead to the other neurological disorders, either Parkinson's or midbrain damage, which is exactly like Parkinson's. And what was the reaction to those letters? Uh, total and complete silence. I didn't hear from one person. Nada. Now, even Angelo, who's the godfather of my child, was not a word. They were in a different business there, and they were in the business of keeping the golden goose alive. So you talk about brain damage that would lead to Parkinson's or mid-brain damage. It's called pugilistic Parkinson's. Results from a 2018 study at Boston University suggests athletes who participate in contact sports, including football, ice hockey, boxing, are not only at high risk for CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, but also Lewy body disease, which can lead to Parkinson's. The findings of this study were published in the Journal of Neuropathology and Experimental Neurology. Dr. Pacheco said, listen to him talk. That's exactly what Jonathan Igg did. 
This is the guy that wrote Ali's biography, Ali, A Life, and conducted a study on Ali's speech patterns to determine when Parkinson's may have first manifested. The study found that Ali's speech slowed by 16% after a 15-round bout with Ernie Shavers in 1977. Shavers, a brawler, landed 266 punches throughout the fight. Ali's speech normalized over time, but Ig's study, conducted by Arizona State speech scientists through CompuBox, Inc., found a downward trend in Ali's speech in the waning years of his career. His speech slowed by 26% between the ages of 26 and 39. The study also found that Ali was slurring his speech in 1978. He retired in 1981, was diagnosed in 1984. Their study sought out to show that speech patterns can be used to trace early signs of Parkinson's. I want to return to my conversation with Rashida. Rashida was the daughter of one of Ali's four wives. She grew up in Barron Springs, Michigan with her sister May May, her twin Jamila, and Muhammad Ali Jr., but they did not live with Muhammad Ali. Um, we would see him on television. Um, we, uh, people would uh, react quite uh, insanely. Um, and so we kind of didn't understand why they were so excited. And, you know, my dad would come pick us up from school or he'd go to our events. So we kind of knew he was it was he was pretty famous when um, and he would come in our school and the school would stop. So so I think that's when for us, we, we, we thought, hey, he's not just any other dad. In our conversation, we touched on a number of topics from her dad's experimental treatments, exercise, his faith, and his attitude towards Parkinson's. My dad felt that uh, everything happens for a reason. And I, and I know how cliche that may sound, but he, he was, of course, distraught when he was diagnosed. And of course, he shied away from the public a little bit because, you know, his mouth was something that made him a lot of money and made him dynamic. And, you know, when he started to speak a little softer, he got a little insecure about speaking, I think. Um, but eventually, you know, you know, when we all go through something that's life changing, you, once we um, exhibit acceptance and we start to realize, OK, let, let me grab a hold of this at full force and, and see what I can do with this and see how I can fight with this. Again, that that's a family dynamic that you know he had the full support of his family and lots of friends and fans and so it helps when you have you know family support but certainly um he started to realize that you know he had a full life he he was only 42 and he was retirement age but he was very grateful what what god has given him and he continued to do the things that he enjoyed um in the sense where he'd go out for ice cream. He did things that he enjoyed. He he still boxed, you know, not professionally, obviously, but he had a boxing ring put in his home. Um, you know, we went to the movies. We went out to eat. Uh, some things took a little longer, and, you know, you can't really make plans with Parkinson's. You kind of just have to wait and see how you do that day. But he didn't really focus so much on his condition. He, he continued to do the things that he loved. What I've read is that when he would travel around the world, he would meet with different neurologists and try to get their opinions on uh, what, what he should be doing. And he actually met, according to the New York Times, he met with a Mexican doctor who was known for an experimental okay. surgery for the removal of the adrenal glands and relocating those okay. cells into the brain. He opted not to do that surgery. Do you remember that happening back in 1987? 
You know what? He's done a lot of experiments. I don't know which ones, but, you know, in the four years that he was, you know, trying to find the right doctor, I'm sure there were experiments out there that, you know, they wanted to use my dad as, sure. you know, I don't want to say guinea pig, but, you know, a lot of times, you know, a lot of these treatments were brand new and a lot of people didn't know if it would work. So I'm sure he hopped around with a lot of neurologists trying to find what the best treatment would be. Um, I do know in the past, my dad, you know, I guess some neurologists approached him about getting DBS. Of course, at that time, he was already late onset and he mm-hmm. wasn't a candidate for DBS. So, again, you know, when you're in the process, you, you know, as a caregiver and as family members, um, you should do as much homework and research as possible about certain techniques because, you know, and you want to get the right neurologist because, the the proper neurologist would be the one that has the most experience with not just any movement disorder, but specifically Parkinson's, because you want to make sure you're getting the right information. So knowledge is power in the sense where as a family member or caregiver, you don't want to really be desperate and try every single technique out there because every technique may not be right for you. And sometimes the side effects may be far worse than the symptoms that you had already exhibited. This is important, so listen up. Rashida's right. Seek out what they call a movement disorder specialist, MDS. If there are any near you, go to a movement disorder specialist instead of a general neurologist. Uh, Not only do they focus on the motor symptoms, like all neurologists, but they'll also be able to uh, look at the non-motor symptoms and can help you deal with your specific brand of Parkinson's. Uh, They just understand the disease better. In 1995, 11 years after diagnosis, Muhammad Ali was interviewed by Bryant Gumbel on HBO's Inside Sports. Does your present condition upset you? Does it bother you? Uh, only a trial, trial for my law. God tries in wealth, tries in pain, tries in failure, whatever. So I don't know what he's in store. You view this as your trial then? Yes. Are you matching the trial? You up to the challenger? I'm doing it right now. Coming on your show. Facing you. Make it sound so hard to do. I started not come. Why? Because I realize I'm not healthy like I was. I realize you ask questions, I guess. But my pride would make me say no. But I hold a pride. It says if you got one ounce of pride, you can't enter paradise. So it scares me to think that I'm too proud to do your show because of my condition. That spiritual side of Ali never wavered, not as a Parkinson's advocate, a civil rights leader, or a boxing champion. Here is 23-year-old Cassius Clay back in 1965 in New York being interviewed next to Malcolm X talking about becoming heavyweight champion of the world and beating Sonny Liston. My religion is what the only thing that I can give me credit for pulling me through because uh, 99 out of 100 seemed to see no possibility of me winning. The newspaper reporters and everybody all over the world condemned me. They said it would be a mismatch and everybody, couldn't nobody believe it. So uh, my prayers to uh, Allah and uh, faith in my religion, living a clean, right his life, I have to say that's what pulled me through. I asked Rashida how much of a role faith played in his dealing with PD. A hundred percent. My dad was 100 um, percent 
deeply spiritual and um and it was it was his faith that really i feel got him through a lot of the tough times um my dad he was not a robot he he had feelings and i'm sure he was very um frustrated with some some days because sometimes people have uh frustrating days sometimes you can hear him talk very clear and we've had facetime conversations where my dad sounded like he did you know, when he was first diagnosed and he sounded great. And then some days, not so much. So I've never heard my dad complain about, um, oh my God, this sucks and things like that. If he did it, he never told us. Wow. Um, so, so again, he was our rock in the sense that we never felt sorry for him or of course he wouldn't have, won, he wouldn't have allowed that anyway, <laughs> but we never felt bad for him because he really took everything in stride. He was always very positive about everything that happened to him. Even before being diagnosed with Parkinson's, things happened to him. He had faced racism mm -hmm. in the extreme sense. He's, he's had death threats, um, you know, because he grew up during that time when there was segregation and things. So a lot of his friends were, were, were being were assassinated. So he, he was a tough guy. And even during those tough times that he dealt with, he's had losses. Um, he's had criticisms and things like that. He never let any of those trials and tribulations disturb him and keep him off of his focus. And I think that helped him moving on, at, you know, moving forward when he was diagnosed with Parkinson's. He kept that strong will with him. So when he was diagnosed with this unknown uh, complex yeah. condition, um, it, it helped him in dealing with it initially. Now. I may be guilty of this, and I've, I know I've heard other people think out loud, is God punishing me? Is that why I have Parkinson's? What did I do to deserve this? But as far as I can tell, Ali embraced the disease, and Rashida says as much. You know, my dad is, has mentioned my dad was, was a deeply spiritual person. Um, he had always said to the Muslim community anyway that, that Parkinson saved his life. So? And a lot of people might, you know, a lot of people might think that um, my dad always said, you know, Parkinson's could be could be a way for me to realize that I'm not the greatest. God is the greatest. So a lot of people need reminders or may need reminders in their life that, you know, as even as large as you are. You know, the, the greater power, and that that's for those of you who, who believe in a higher power, there is always someone within you. And, you know, again, some people who, you know, had Parkinson's or, or was diagnosed with Parkinson's may feel that, hey, without Parkinson's, I wouldn't have, you know, they may have changed uh, careers and have done things where they've made more of an impact in their communities than they did before. So, Again, everyone's case is different. I think it has a lot to do with where you are spiritually and also long-term. My dad always had deep conversations about what his purpose in life was. And um, he really didn't feel that his purpose in life wasn't to be a heavyweight champion. He definitely felt his purpose in life was to be able to change, create change, massive change on a grand scale and to make this world a better place. Yeah, he certainly did that. On so many levels. Yeah. <laughs> he uh, did a great job. I mean, it was it was a tough, um, you know, he'd gone through many trials and tribulations, some trials and tribulations people would never experience in their lifetime. But he did it so well because he, um, he put things into perspective and he realized that it was only temporary and he was going to utilize whatever time he had on this earth 
for to, to create change and do as, as much good as possible because he did feel that there was life after this life and he wanted to be able to enjoy that one too. 1996, Ali shocks the world one last time when he lit that Olympic cauldron in Atlanta. In 2000, Michael J. Fox Foundation was established and that's when Fox and Ali combined forces on TV PSAs and testifying before Congress, raising awareness for the importance of research for Parkinson's. Being vulnerable and imperfect wasn't necessarily the Muhammad Ali brand. So what convinced him to become the yeah. public face of Parkinson's? You know, it, it, it did not. Um, my dad didn't didn't think that he would be the face, but he was because he was the most famous person that that people knew that that had Parkinson's and he was so young. So I think, you know, once he was able to grasp, because again, he shied away from the public uh, a lot when he was first diagnosed because he was trying to figure it all out. Um, but, you know, he became allies with Michael J. Fox, who was also a young onset Parkinsonian. And so they kind of helped each other out in terms of being, you know, kind of the ring bearer, if, if you could call it that, mm -hmm. for the condition. Because they lent so much credibility um, to the condition. And also, they used their power to... Um, to help other people. They had the, the, the power to get and stand in front of Congress to, to try to make change, to try to encourage stem cell therapy. Um, they, they had the money and the connections to be able to open up institutes where Michael J. Fox opened up a research institute to try to help find a cure. My dad opened up a clinic for diagnosing people with Parkinson's and help change in their quality of life. So again, they kind of, inadvertently became faces of Parkinson's, but they did so much more to raise hundreds of millions of dollars for the treatment um, research and also for raising the awareness because a lot of people don't know what to do when they're diagnosed. So they look toward people who have the power and know-how. And I think my dad and Michael J. Fox did a very good job in doing that. Were they good friends? Very good friends. They yeah. were very good friends. Very good friends. Very good allies. And they helped each other out. They helped each other in terms of being able to help millions of people um, come to grips with their condition. I thought they were very deeply good friends. Over the years, we all saw it happen. Ali's symptoms worsened. You remember the often blank expression, Parkinson's face caused by rigid facial muscles, the shuffling gait, freezing in place, that hushed voice. His wife and care partner Lonnie was interviewed about Ali's Parkinson's symptoms on ABC's 2020 by Diane Sawyer in 2007, 23 years after his diagnosis. He had just been diagnosed with Parkinson's when they met. And you never feel robbed? No, no. Our life is so full, so rich. I mean, we have nothing to be sorry for. There's such a conversation going on between the two of you all the time now. Well, yeah, so we have Muhammad, I, I understand Muhammad's signals and it's sort of a, some of it's a silent conversation. I, I can look at his face, I can tell what he wants or what he's thinking. Muhammad would say, do as much as you can because that's the way you will be remembered. God gives us special gifts and the more God gives you, the more he expects. In 2013, doctors performed surgery in Boston on Ali's vocal cords, which had become thin and brittle. Ali never had been a big fan of voice and speech therapy, so surgery had limited benefits. Muhammad Ali died June 3, 2016. 
That day, Michael J. Fox reacted to the death on NBC's Today Show with Savannah Guthrie and Matt Lauer. I mean, we were lucky we had him for 74 years. He's an icon. He's a symbol. He's a symbol of fighting and of a peaceful warrior. He's a giant. You know, it's nice to have lived in a time when giants walked among us. And he was one. Fox says a phone call from Ali helped inspire him to embrace the cause. He was quiet for a while, and then he said in a very soft voice, I'm glad you're in this fight with me. And it was just a uh, formative moment in my life. It was just uh, an amazing moment, and I realized that that uh, we were all part of something bigger. Between Muhammad Ali and Michael J. Fox, they have raised millions and millions of dollars in that fight. So interesting to hear Michael J. Fox say that was a seminal moment yeah. for him in handling this condition. I asked Rashida, you know, Muhammad Ali did so many amazing things in his life. What does she think her dad's legacy is? You know, it's my dad always said he was bigger than boxing. <laughs> and I think he said that because because he, he, he used boxing as his platform to do so many other things. Um, he um, was a man who was deeply concerned about his community. And he was a, a deeply faithful man. Although he wasn't perfect, he was extremely sincere. And he wanted to be able to take this gift that God has given him, because that's, that's how he looks at it. It, it. It's a gift that God has given him to be so great at a sport that, um, that he was given. And take that as a platform and use it to do, create change and, and be able to change people's lives and help others. And I think my dad, he did it right. Uh, when people have an opportunity to be able to use a platform, if they're, if they're fortunate enough to have a gift, um, take full advantage. Because I think he changed millions of people's lives. And even now in his absence, he's still changing lives. Why do you continue to be an advocate for Parkinson's all these years later? You know, um, I always said that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in it for the long haul. Um, I knew my dad when he was getting older and he was becoming less and less of a candidate for clinical trials and, and things like that. Um, I knew, um, and I thought my dad was Superman. I, I didn't think my dad would ever die. I, I just thought he was, you know, silly <laughs> to say that, but I thought he was Superman. Don't and we all, don't we all think our dad is Superman? <laughs> yeah, for my sure. My dad was Superman. <laughs> He's yeah, awesome. He, he, he was, yeah, he, he's invincible and he, he could he could knock out every everything and he can even defy death. You know, I thought he was magical. And unfortunately, um, when um, when he did pass, I, we were shocked, even though I know he suffered with Parkinson's for over 33 years. Um, again, it, you're never prepared for that moment. And uh, when that moment happened, I, 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 I felt obligated to other Parkinson's and the rest of the family members who are dealing with this issue, I, I felt obligated to be able to make their journey easier. And I'm not going to stop, stop becoming an advocate until insurance finally found. So I felt if my dad was here, he, he'd want me to continue to campaign on behalf of others because that's what he did while he was here. Is there anything that you wish he would have done differently as it relates to dealing with his Parkinson's? You know, he's stronger than me. Uh, he's stronger than anyone I know. And I think if anything like that, or even before Parkinson's, I couldn't have handled some of the things that he handled in his life. He's the strongest person I know because his 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 mind, the way his mind worked, he didn't let 
anything bother him. And I and I have to say, I, I don't think that I would have changed anything that he did. In fact, if I were to just exhibit a small percentage of his, of his will and his grace and his honor and his strength, then then we'd all be better off. So I have to say he did everything right. You know, being diagnosed with disease, he, he, he smiled every day. He never complained. All the staff that worked for him throughout the years, especially as he got older, he was a pleasure to be around. You know how when people get older and they, you know, they become just like bitter and he was not like that. He was he was always a treat and a pleasure. And he was so easy. You know what I mean? He wasn't very demanding. He just enjoyed his life. And he really kind of showed us, you know, hey, I have this condition. This is how um, this is how I'm going to treat it. And I'm not going to let it stop me. I'm not going to let it beat me. And, it, and he didn't. My uh, my my father died in uh, 2003. Uh, and I, I'm sorry. No, that's okay. I, I can still hear his voice, though, and I still ask him questions. Sure. Do you still talk yeah. to your dad? I do. Every day. Um, he comes in my dreams. Um, we have conversations, and I miss him so much. It's still a huge loss because I miss him. He was my best friend. Oh. So I... I get what you mean by, you You know, you still talk to your, your dad because I still talk to mine yeah. and he still resonates with me every day. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's very powerful, the footprint he left on this world, not only to the world, but to us, his kids, those that he loved very, very much. And I, I believe everything he did in his life was for us. So, um, yeah, he still, he's still my rock. And That's great. He still, yeah, he still keeps me strong and focused and grounded. <laughs> Rashida Ali is the author of I'll Hold Your Hand So You Don't Fall. It's available on her website, RashidaAli.net. She serves as a patron for the EPDA, the Muhammad Ali Parkinson Center at Barrow Neurological Institute, and serves as an advisor board member of Brainstorm Cell Therapeutics, a leading biotech company. You know, digging into Muhammad Ali's life was really special for me. I didn't realize I, I connected with him so much and that, you know, learning about his struggles to get diagnosed and the symptom onset and dealing with medications and faith and wrestling with what's happening to me and why and, you know, how do I make the most of it and how do I live each day to the fullest you know, when do I stop working? He, he, he went through all those same things, and it kind of makes him normal. Uh, but it sure was a pleasure to go back memory lane with Muhammad Ali and, and talk to his daughter and, and talk to Dave. And, and I, I just want to hear Muhammad Ali say it one more time. That's right. We're good friends. I feel like we're good friends now. Uh, after all this time I've spent with you uh, in the archives of the Internet. Boy, you can get lost on YouTube. Next time on When Life Gives You Parkinson's. My name is Jeanette Fisher-Pin. We went onto a boat where we were jumped off the side of the boat to go swimming and in the middle of the Adriatic Sea. And uh, my friends and husband jumped off in front of me and they swam away. And I jumped off and landed in the water and realized that I couldn't swim because my left side of my body shut down. 
I'm Barry, Jeanette's husband. Our friend who we had gone to Greece with had just been diagnosed with ALS. So we were sort of relieved it was Parkinson's, believe it or not. In the Costco pharmacy waiting room, waiting for my my new drugs that were going to help me function and feel better. I was reading up on the disease and I looked over at Barry and I said, I don't think this is very good. I have MSA, multiple system atrophy, Parkinsonian type. My intention is to live today because that's all I have, I guess. Sounds a little cliche, but it's true. Hello. Hi, Jeanette. Hi, Jeanette. How are you? Hi, Larry. And we went to UBC, to the Brain Health Clinic out there, and saw a new neurologist, and she spent about two, well, almost two hours with us. She said that it's most likely um, certain that I have Parkinson's disease and not MSA. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. This is When Life Gives You Parkinson's, a Curious Cast podcast. Our presenting sponsor is Parkinson Canada, parkinson.ca. Thanks, guys. Also, thanks to Rashida Ali Walsh and Dave Clark. If you enjoyed this episode, you may like the extra dosage of Robin Williams from this season, which was posted November 19th. Also, episode seven of season one, I learned to box as I searched for the right exercises for me. The episode is called Exercise is a Real Prescription for Parkinson's. Special thanks to our promotional partner, Spotlight YOPD, and Parkinson's IQ Plus U. And thank you for listening. Please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And while you're there, click over and give the show a a five rating. And please leave a comment, because when you leave a comment, you encourage other people to listen. That's a good thing. Why do you listen? What do you like about it? Easy peasy. Uh, you can also engage with us on social media. It's at Parkinson's Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Often posting full videos of like the improv uh, performance we did the other week. The, all 35 minutes are up there now, uh, so you can check it out. You can email us at Parkinson's Pod at CuriousCast.ca. We would like to add your voice to the pod. We invite you to record your message at speakpipe.com slash when life gives you Parkinson's speakpipe.com slash when life gives you Parkinson's. You go there and you leave a voicemail message and then we play it on the podcast. It's as easy as it gets. And with that, keep positive, keep exercising, keep listening. We'll talk to you next time. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone. Like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.